Hey everybody and welcome to the Darkcast. This is DCI number 46 and I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. In this episode, Brian and I got to talk to John O'Neill uh, of Sparkplug Games, who's currently working on Mech Runner, which is not a Temple Run clone, uh, but is a endless runner in which you play as a transforming mech with plasma axes, energy blades, and of course giant guns and uh, missiles and, and whatnot. Looks like a lot of fun. Uh, conversation also got hijacked by some Firefly discussion because if you didn't know it, there is a Firefly game in the works, so um, if you've never seen Firefly, then pause this podcast, go binge watch it on Netflix, and then come back and continue listening. We had a great conversation with John. I hope you enjoy it. If you want to find out more about DarkStation, you can do that at DarkStation.com. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at DarkStation underscore com. If you want to subscribe to us, you can do that on iTunes. We are the DarkCast. While you're there, give us a review and let us know what you think of the show. And finally, if you want to send us an email, you can do that at podcast at DarkStation.com. For more information about MechRunner or Firefly, check out the links in the show notes to this episode. As always, thank you for listening. Now on with the show. Alright, well thank you so much for being on the show with us today, John. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. I make games for a living, so life is good. <laughs> <laughs> and I bet life is really good because uh, you guys just uh, hit the uh, you get funded on Kickstarter mark. Yeah, uh, what, it's yesterday? funny. I was I was waiting for like a, a badge or something to come in via email on Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was kind of a lot of who's and haws uh, down the hall in the studio. It's like, oh, something just happened. Either someone broke something, or there's a cool game that we're looking at. Or something was on fire. <laughs> and it was none of those. It was, hey, we hit the fun thing. Woohoo! So, yeah, it's been a real fun day. <laughs> do, do they even give you, like, an email that says, hey, you got funded? Or is it just like, hey, you should probably check up on your own page? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's wild because it, there's, so many, uh, there's so many different types of Kickstarters that have been pushed out there. And... You know, we stay very close. Uh, we back a tremendous number of our friends or just things that look real interesting. And the amount of effort you put into it before and during a campaign is just incre- incredibly mind-numbingly intense. And, you know, everyone is watching it constantly. You know, even if you're not doing anything with it, you're all, you've got it on a screen or, you know, you're getting a tweet from someone or, you know, there's someone who's sending an email, you know, saying, oh, wonderful that you got this so-and-so thing. And then you quickly look. It's like, oh, well, yeah, we just hit a new level. So, yeah, I guess they figure you're doing it right if you're watching it. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Well, congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, we, we've learned a lot from it. That's that's good to hear. Actually, Monday uh, we were kind of, uh, Brian and I were kind of interested in how the conversation might go because you guys were, were just shy uh, of making it. It's like, this is going to be a really tense conversation. <laughs> uh, so I'm actually kind of glad that it got postponed you know, a day because now I'm sure you can breathe a little bit easier. <laughs> 
Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's been wonderful. You know, there's there's obviously a lot of people in industry who've been reaching out and supporting us, and you know, friends and family. But I think one of the things that we've really enjoyed uh, just seeing a lot of the comments and messages coming in from backers or people who are interested. Um, is the outpouring of support for the platforms that we announced. And, you know, we've really been getting into a lot of uh, Vita gaming, although we call it research. Yeah, it's a tax writer for we call it research. So we'll sure, call absolutely. it research. <laughs> um, but the Vita community is, uh, they're phenomenal. Um, it's, it's, it's in some ways energizing because... You know, a lot of us come from the early days of console development, you know, over 10 years ago. And, you know, as a company, and we're kind of dancing around things, but, you know, as a company, we've, we've done so many different platforms, and it's been a while since we've gotten back to our roots. And with MechRunner, we really wanted to get back into the things that, you know, the founders of the company started out with, you know, which was really console game development. And, yeah, it's still fun. We love it. Awesome. Awesome. You know, I'm I'm actually kind of surprised that a, a name like MechRunner hasn't been used before because it, it it just sounds like a game. Like it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, I played MechRunner back on the SNES. But it's yeah, I, I guess you know you hit a good name when it's like that really should have already been a game. <laughs> you know, you're absolutely right. It's it's kind of funny. And I was having lunch with a, a good friend of mine, uh, a, a founder of another local studio uh, today, and he was commenting on, you know, his surprise that this type of game, you know, transforming mechs in this arcade-style shoot-em-up hasn't been done. And I was like, yeah, until now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys, uh, especially like the... Uh, the idea it's so it's so simple and yet so like the, there's there's so much room to grow in it that you would have expected at least somebody to catch in like a transformers product or something yeah. on an idea like this absolutely and you know it's kind of funny because we looked at and we've worked on so many different games worked on so many different genres and you know you kind of you know learn what you're good at and you pick and choose the pieces that you really enjoy working on and there's something to be said to get back to you know just a a really well-polished arcade-style game. You know, going back to the 80s, and I wasn't building games in the 80s, I was spending money on games in the 80s, <laughs> but, you know, you're dumping quarters after quarters in all these old classic arcade games, and, you know, you get these wonderful experiences, and in some ways, I think we've lost a little bit of that as an industry, because it's not a bad thing that we've opened up to... You know, tens of millions of consumers on mobile devices, but it's not the same type of dedicated, focused gaming experience that a lot of us as developers, you know, kind of grew up with as you get into the industry. And it's something that I've missed. And I found, you know, there's there's a lot of love and passion that went into this game in particular because there's a lot of desire to do what we started out, you know, as gamers in the 80s playing, and now we're doing it as game developers. And it was, that was such a, like a, like, I, I only remember it as a, as a kid in the arcades and stuff like that, but that was such a different time because those games were designed for a completely different purpose. And so the, the, the kind of pleasure centers that they hit, they had to hit hard and they had to hit often in order to keep you pushing your quarters in. Yeah, so to, to kind of see that come back, that's uh, it, it's both like nostalgic and neat to see how it's going to work within the constraints of 
of like you know almost a console system or something where you're not constantly pushing quarters in there. Exactly, exactly, and I think it's wonderful. Um, you know this this current. You know, last couple of years, the the revitalization of the industry through indie game development and the accessibility to all the platforms. There's a lot of wonderful experimentation and you know, just risk that uh, a traditional publisher, a business, is more adverse to taking. And you know, right or wrong, understandably so. Um, but if you just want to get out and build something and you're not, you know, I don't need to sell it to 20 million people. I just want to build something that people will have fun playing. And if, you know, a certain demographic and a certain following enjoys it, then that's a successful product. That's a successful game for that person. And I think we've kind of carried that philosophy along with what we're doing now that, you know, I'd love to have 10 million people play this, but I know I'm not going to have 10 million people play this. I'd be perfectly happy if... You know, 50,000 of the most passionate PlayStation 4, Vita, Steam, Xbox One, whatever platform, if they find they absolutely love this game, you know, then we've done our job well and they're, they've, they've had a great experience. I think that idea of expectation seems to be kind of the big, like, uh, separator in that dichotomy of, like, AAA and indie publisher. And, and you've got that AAA space where, like, you know, last year... I know the year before, I, I forget, whenever it came out, the, the Tomb Raider reboot. Um, oh, that, that came was, out. That, and that was sold... only last year. That was, yeah. was that only last year. I, I just finished that one, together. too. <laughs> so great. I love that game. And, like, you know, I, what is it? I want to say three or four million people played that game. But the, yeah. the AAA expectations were so high that in Square Enix's eyes, that was still a failure. Yeah. And then, you know, you're coming out and you're ha- not only are you having fun making the game, but your expectations are set to the point where as long as some people play it and some people get out of it, you, you're considering it a success. And that's it, it's so funny seeing that, that huge distinction. Yeah, yeah. And quite honestly, I think that's a lot of reason why you're seeing more and more experienced and very experienced people from these AAA studios. And I've got you know hundreds of friends who are in this boat you know, who are either considering the jump or have already jumped and they've gone to, you know, small five to ten person shops that mm-hmm. they can just be very passionate about developing a product. But, you know, a five to ten person shop doesn't need to sustain themselves with twenty million dollar budgets. That's nice because you can buy a small island, but you don't need it. <laughs> so. And you can. My wife watches an awful lot of HGTV. That'll get you a very <laughs> nice island. Nice plug for them as well. Hey, right? There you go. This so, episode's sponsored by. <laughs> yeah, right. I wish. That would be amazing. Um, but uh, speaking of kind of the, the developers that are moving uh, from the AAA space, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your background. Yeah, absolutely. So... I kind of fell into the industry uh, while I was finishing a degree at NC State way back in the early 90s. And uh, a good friend of mine, who actually is the same person I had lunch with today, who started a studio of his own, uh, he got a job at Microprose back when Microprose was still in existence and when they had a studio here in the Chapel Hill, North Carolina area. Um, And back then, you know, it was... A lot of PC gaming, you know, consoles were out there, but I don't think Microsoft was doing that much. But uh, kind of had an opportunity to join a young team, and was very fortunate to work with uh, the Sid Meier properties on colonization for Windows, CivNet, Civ2. We even dabbled on an XCOM port at one time that got killed, but. 
it was a wonderful time. Um, just a junior programmer, you know, getting my feet wet, and then spent a couple of years after a layoff uh, doing some consulting in Texas. Moved around a little bit, and ultimately, about ooh, what are we at now? About 14 years ago, I moved back to North Carolina and joined up with Vicious Cycle. Uh, again, started by a bunch of friends of mine. And that's really where, you know, I kind of got into the middle of console development and Robotech Battlecry was the first big one that I was involved with. And, you know, that came through with a lot of uh, inspiration on the current title with MechRunner. Um, so I spent a couple of years with Vicious and then I started getting that itch to do something more uh, from a business perspective because I had always been very technical um, with my background, but... I also enjoyed, you know, kind of the the communications and the outreach and the working with other developers. And so about six and a half years ago, I finally took the plunge, said, well, you know, back before it was kind of hip to be an indie, um, <laughs> I was <laughs> kind of interested. So, so Pre-braid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, before the movie, before all that stuff. <laughs> uh, a good friend of mine who was the art director uh, at Vicious Cycle and I just kind of talked about uh, the interest in trying to get back to our roots as game developers, uh, moving away from you know two to three year projects and trying things on the smaller scale. Still console based, but smaller scale. And so this was uh, 2008. And said, you know, let's start a company uh, right when the economy is taking a dive. That seems like a great idea. Yeah. So built on fantastic <laughs> ideas. Indie and so, was popular. Starting a company right at the dive. This is yeah. the sound. Uh, man, I, you, if you could make it through that crap, you could make it through anything, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, it was, it was interesting because um, I didn't have a lot of other entrepreneurs in the game industry in this area in particular to kind of give me advice and guide me and you know in the in the past six years it's kind of you know trial by fire you know whatever contracts we could find is what we would use to sustain ourselves you know we were funded based on the work that we did so um it's funny how oftentimes you know, people will look at a portfolio from an individual for a company, and us in particular, and it's all over the map. You know, there's things we've done. Uh, we've done games with Namco and Pac-Man. We've done games for Dairy Queen. We've done games for Big Fish. We've worked with Atari. We've worked with IBM. You know, it's it's moved all over the board, but... A lot of that was what I always say, you know, we, we did what we had to do in order to do what we want to do. And really what we want to do are games like MechRunner and like Firefly. And so it took us six years to get to this point. But um, I think looking back now, it's interesting um, how much the industry has changed, how much we have changed. But also, I'm not saying it's easy, but it has become easier to strike out on your own as long as you're not just doing a mobile game. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of the, the long-winded, here's where we came from. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great. Um, so how, how many people do you have at Sparkplug? So we've got about 14 people here in the office uh, when we're kind of at our capacity for the space we're in now. And then there's two additional guys who are permanently remote on the East Coast. Hmm. 
and then there's always between 15 and 20 additional contractors, mostly in the art capacity, who are working on the games. So, pretty good size mm -hmm. uh, for a small studio. <laughs> awesome. And, Absolutely. Uh, so, you guys have been around since, what, 2008? Is that... So, 2008. January okay. 2008. Awesome. Very cool. And I'm now instantly intrigued by Firefly Online. I, I, <laughs> that's... I'm, I'm having to fight not to just hijack this conversation with that game. <laughs> you can totally do that. I'll tell you some funny stories. Well, we, usually, <laughs> the first question is always, how in the hell did you get that license? <laughs> yeah, there's that. Um, there's why did it take over a decade? Uh, <laughs> oh, that one I, I, I know those reasons. But, uh, no, it's, um, it's kind of funny and... A lot of times I'll talk to people, um, and I'll tease at first. Um, I've kind of already busted the punchline, so I won't tease, but <laughs> I'll tell you the real reasons. Um, and one of the most important things, I think, you know, to those who are really thinking of branching out and, you know, getting out of their comfort zone of working for a, a stable 9-to-5 paycheck every two week type thing and, you know, see what you can do independently or with small teams, uh, one of the biggest things that makes a difference, I think, is just maintaining a solid business relationship with other companies and other individuals hmm. and Firefly is a classic example of business relationships and friends um, and that really is the biggest reason why mm -hmm. so you know some very good friends of mine that we met uh, a number of years ago at Namco and they have since moved on to other companies um, they again just through you know working well together and being honest about what you can do and you know knowing your abilities and your limitations you know, they spoke very highly of us to someone who knew someone else who knew someone at Fox who knew someone who was working with a licensor and the timing just hit where you know the question was asked by someone who said I finally got the license for this game we're going to build it we need to find a game developer and that kind of passed around a little bit, and again, no slight to any large publisher or large studio, but this this group that we ultimately spoke with uh, said that if you're going to work with a license like Firefly, it has to be done with love. It has to be done with someone who is a brown coat. It has to be done with someone who is willing to do the impossible. Yeah. Because <laughs> good grief, we're there's not going to make any There's not off. a lot of patience left for that one. <laughs> But no love for the so alliance perfect. here. Oh yeah, anyway. <laughs> I mean EA. I didn't say that alliance. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it was it was right place, right time. Um, you know, just talking about if you're going to build something, you know, don't necessarily know where the money or time comes from, but it has to be done. It's damn well time to make something shiny, and so we did. You know, we said. You know, I don't have the answers. I don't know how it's going to get to where we need to get it, but by God, we will build it, and we will build it to be the most mighty thing ever. And that was the right thing to say because, in the beginning, when we first started, you know, we were handed a, well, a nine thousand page non disclosure agreement about the license before they tell us that was a license, and then it was the, so if you could work with this said confidential license, what would you build? I was like, wait a minute, you don't have a design? You're interested in ideas? It's like, well, we have ideas, but what do you think? You're the experts. You're the game developers. You just, you just made me sign a paper that said I wasn't allowed to think about it. <laughs> I can't breathe without asking permission. <laughs> and I completely understand the confidentiality. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense. And it's funny because 
you know, we talk often um, with our with our friends at Fox and our friends at QMX, and um, it's interesting that obviously the license, you know, ten years ago, Fox cancels the show, but the people who canceled it are long since gone. Mm-hmm. So everyone who's there now has to live with the fact that those before <laughs> them are the evil ones, because. <laughs> Quite honestly, I mean, the people at Fox that we work with are some of the most awesome individuals we've ever had the pleasure. Um, they will bend over backwards to get us content that we didn't even know existed. And, you know, they want to see this succeed in some ways probably more than everyone else because it's a, yeah, make this right it's, with the it's fans. It's their redemption story. It is, totally. <laughs> And they're awesome. And, you know, our partner um, who really brought the license into existence for game development, uh, Quantum Mechanics, you know, they have a very strong and positive following uh, with many brands, but especially with Firefly, because they actually created a tremendous amount of content um, that Serenity was based on and that was used as reference material. So they are the definitive experts. Hmm. And so, you know, we had to convince them that we were the right team. And a lot of the, you know, the requirements were not, you know, how do you build games? What's your technical prowess? You know, what's your team capability? It was, you know, how much do you love Firefly? You know, where does your passion lie? What do you put, how do you build a game that you love and believe in? If I were so, to hand you the chain of command, what would you do with it? You know. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> and if I give it? you that chain, are you going to hang yourself? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it's it's been a lot of fun. It really has. And at the same time, you know, it, it's very scary because we've previously been flying completely under the radar, and now all of a sudden, it's holy crap, what do you mean you're building a Firefly game? When did that happen? <laughs> like, no, no, don't look behind the curtain yet. We're not done. <laughs> it's out. It's time to crazy Ivan and get the hell out of here. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> we just had the crazy Ivan animation put on one of the ships. Actually, that's funny. Nice. <laughs> Teaser! Uh, that's fantastic, but we have we have to get away from that, or we're going to spend hours here talking about Firefly. I'm just look, uh, look I'm just going to throw this out there. They met their Kickstarter goal. We could talk about whatever we want. <laughs> you know, it's funny. We've actually been extremely careful about mixing the two. Um, you know, as as game developers, you know, and all the studios I've ever worked for, there's always been multiple projects working. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, we have multiple teams, but we've been very careful to keep uh, both brands very separate. Um, obviously, there's expertise that worked on Firefly that contributes to MechRunner, and there's expertise on MechRunner that contributes to Firefly. But we never want, you know, gamers or those who don't, under- don't understand the process to think, um, well, wait a minute, they're working on this other game. What happened to Firefly? It's like, no, 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 that's still in progress. It's just MechRunner's done now, and we're going to ship that sooner. <laughs> I think that was that's that, especially like um, and I'll use a double fine for this is that the that that was one yeah. of the hardest things that they they had to communicate when they did the second Kickstarter for Massive Chalice, is yeah. that you know we do have multiple teams we are still working on this and we are still taking care of it, but we have other people that are sitting around kind of doing nothing that we want them to do stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, sometimes. 
you know, we're very open with our development process. And Firefly especially, we've been very um, open to the community and showing as much as we can. And even some things that normally we'd be very uncomfortable showing before it's in a final form. But it's kind of nice uh, lifting a little bit of that, uh, that veil of mystery to what goes into a process. But at the same time, there's still, yeah, there's, there's development and production uh, organizational efforts that you know, keep everything flowing in a positive way that people may not completely understand. You know, unless you've built games before or unless you work for a company that has multiple product development cycles running simultaneously. Um, but at the end of the day, it really helps all products. Um, and I'll give you a great example. There's, there's components in MechRunner that we developed very early on before Firefly was even to a point where we were coding anything. And, you know, the, these were in a lot of the cinematic sequences and the very, you know, the, the visceral experience that we're trying to make immersive and interactive. And we perfected those in MechRunner at an early stage because it was so critical. And now those same systems we're translating over and using in Firefly. And it's basically a drop-and-go uh, implementation. So the Firefly team and the resulting experience that you're getting is to the benefit of MechRunner having perfected that months before. And so, you know, we do as much as we can as a small developer to really, you know, build components that make a lot of sense and work really well that we can share with other projects, especially on the technological side. I don't think you'll see the XP41 showing up in Firefly, but if we needed to have a mode-changing robot with giant swords slicing stuff up, we could do it. It's available. It is available. You've got it ready to go. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, tell us a little bit about uh, MechRunner, since that is actually what we're here to talk about. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, MechRunner is kind of a... Uh, it was an idea that myself, Ben Licious, and Josh Nizzi came up with um, over a year ago. And it was, it was kind of a just a side conversation that we were having talking about, you know, cool transforming robots that blow stuff up. I was like, yeah, robots are fun. Transforming is cool and blowing stuff up is awesome. We should do that in a game. I was like, wait a minute. Why don't we write that up as a game idea? Like, yeah. And we could do it in 3D with really cool-looking art because Josh makes really incredible-looking mechs. And it really started from that basic, simple idea. You know, ben and I, Ben Licious and I, when uh, we worked on Robotech together, you know, it, was, it was a fun experience because it was building a game with intense passion uh, with a brand that was very beloved at the time. Uh, Harmony Gold was very much behind the idea. And you know, just flying around as a transforming, mode-changing robot, missiles, guns, upgradable objects. I mean, it was awesome. And so we figure, why not take that and bring it to the current you know, generation of hardware? And it's interesting because um, when we started the project and Josh started uh, sketching out the concepts for this main mech, the XP-41, uh, <laughs> it was like, yeah, that's really incredible looking, and oh my gosh, how are we going to drive this on these devices? That's like millions of polygons. <laughs> I was like, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. We'll do it. So um, kind of the, the, 
being un, unhindered and just letting you know a creative idea go it's like we knew you know from the talent and experience we've had as game developers we knew we could make it work but getting those visuals to a point where it was like yeah i want one of those on my desk and i want a 60 foot version at e3 and i want one that converts into my car yeah <laughs> so we kept it simple you know it's it's a and the name you know, you're right it was interesting no one had taken the mech runner name before um, and we didn't really think much about the aspect of getting cast into a runner genre because it didn't matter i mean runners have been around since the early arcades mm-hmm. zaxxon was a runner so you know arcade style shooters that's where the fun started for us and we after we'd gotten into more of the design and, and talking to other groups um, people started asking us, like, are you worried about, you know, being cast as a runner game? It's like, well, no, not really, because when you're <laughs> plowing down the street in this giant robot of destruction, it's pretty cool, and it feels awesome. And then you pull out the swords, and you start cutting stuff up. Like, I think you're going to like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it has definitely been... Um, some people have, have you know, kind of like, oh, you know, it's a temple run cast off or whatever, and which is funny because Keith at Amanji is a good friend of mine, and <laughs> we talk about that too. But um, the biggest thing is has been, you know, until people actually look at it, you know, watch the, you know, just watch the trailer, and you'll see, yeah, there's a lot more to it. And then, oh, by the way, there's bosses, and the bosses are really tough, and they come up in each district. Like, ooh, wow, okay, yeah, tell me more. And so there's more depth to it, and there is a story behind it. And I think what we're really trying to do is is introduce people to this, you know, potentially what is going to be a bigger brand that carries on to other games. And I think as a small team, very passionate idea, staying focused, just, you know, building a solid, great, you know, endless arcade action-style game, um, it's exactly where we wanted it to be. So... And I'm sure you point to the fact that no monkey would dare chase this robot. <laughs> well, if a monkey <laughs> wanted to chase it, we'd just go into the uh, cinematic mode where the swords come out and you decide to slice Done. the monkey up. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. <clears throat> so, how, how does MechRunner actually play? Obviously, there's a lot more depth to it than just swiping left and right, up and down. Uh, because you have swords and and guns, and you can transform between being a mech and being a, a f- hovering tank. But uh, how do, how does all that actually work? So, you in the current mode of the game, and which has changed as we've iterated through a numbers of cycles. But um, the basic mode of play, uh, you're ba- you're barreling down the street in either the robot mode, which is you know the sword wielding awesomeness, or you're in the heavily armored tank mode. And you're dodging obstacles, which may be things in the street, enemies that are appearing, um, environmental aspects, buildings crumbling, missiles flying in, you know, shifts that happen naturally in the environment. And you're along the way, you know, you're you're potentially collecting humans that I don't know why they're out on the streets while the missiles are falling, but they're there and you should probably (laughs) save them. And so we let you save them. There's no monkeys. You wouldn't save monkeys, but you do save humans. Uh, 
and so you know part of the the goal is to rescue and save as many people as you can while you're destroying this onslaught of the uh, the Russian forces, uh, the KGB forces, kind of a a bit of uh, division of advanced weaponry, which is uh, your your main enemy. Um, and there's all sorts of these mechs that are up against you. So the combat sequences kind of interrupt you know your obstacle sequence you know you go through a bit of a reward sequence you know saving people picking up power-ups deciding if you're going to off-road to another another district and then every now and then there's an opportunity to take on some of the larger boss experiences that happen in each one of the districts and each boss is very unique and very specific to the city section the sewers the industrial district and I'm not saying it's impossible, but you're probably going to get your butt handed to you the first few times you face the bosses. So it's meant to allow you to pop back in and try challenging the bosses, um, upgrading your mech, tons of upgradable options, going back to the garage after an unsuccessful run, or a successful run, whichever you want to consider it. Um, You spend a lot of the proto-energy that you've collected during a run to buy better guns, upgrade the weapons change your cannons, upgrade your skin, maybe add some power-ups, shift over to the plasma axes, which are my favorite. Not that there's anything wrong with giant electric swords, but the plasma axe, you know, there's something to be said when you're kind of a 20-foot mech barreling down the street yielding a plasma axe. You're not going to get away. Yeah. (laughs) Not for long, at least. (laughs) (laughs) So... One of the other things that uh, you kind of discover, you know, the purpose of those weapons that you're carrying. Um, so there's the normal kind of arcade-style shoot 'em up that's occurring as you're going through the levels. At some point, you'll be disabling enemies, and you can just blow them to smithereens if you want, or you quickly wield your swords or scythe or sickle, you know, whatever you have equipped as a as an arm weapon. Um, and you go into this more cinematic but interactive mode of slicing up and destroying, decimating the enemy in front of you. It makes you feel pretty damn mighty. <laughs> Very nice. It certainly sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm a fan of the, you know, of the axe, especially the plasma axe. Sounds just uh, truly fantastic. <laughs> So how do the um, how do the boss battles play out? Do you continue running? Is it still uh, like how how does that differ so those from the, are all, the main? Those are all very gameplay. unique. Okay. So each each boss, uh, you have a very uh, distinct challenge type. So uh, not to to give any spoilers away, but sure. uh, the enemies that exist, there are each one is unique in the way that you're engaging with them and some of them you'll continue moving and others you will be you know stuck in more of an arena style combat area Mm. and part of the tactics that you have to use to defeat them uh, varies from boss to boss you know some of them will be more agile based dodging of incoming weapons fire and then using the timing to attack weak points in the enemy's armor or deflecting shots that may be firing at you, um, or just barreling down and moving as quickly as you can to avoid the onslaught of these giant tentacles. Ooh, what's that one from? Not telling you. (laughs) (laughs) 
but it was it's kind of a fun you know it has that second level of depth uh like castlevania you know with these epic boss fights that it gives you not that you need a break from blowing stuff up in the other mode but it allows you to you know shift your focus instead of having you know lots of things coming at you a very focused engagement against something that looks scary or at least we hope it's scary um, and and allows you to take advantage of what you're carrying as a mode changing robot tank um, so it's been a lot of fun especially working on the bosses because they have very distinct I won't call them personalities but we can call them the AI <laughs> each one of their AI um, acts differently so you, you kind of get a different experience. And you might decide that you like fighting one of them, and you can certainly go back and fight that one again if you like it. So you can that replay sounds... the, the different districts? Is that how that works? Or... Yeah, absolutely. So okay. the way the game works, um, it's a procedurally generated city environment. So there is a bit of randomness that comes into the way that the the level unfolds in front of you. And then there's certain sections that are very specific to the enemy type, which is the boss districts. Um, but the, the city district, the sewer district, and the industrial district, you know, you can decide to off-ramp to each one of these if you see a location that launches you out to them um, but those things might not show up in the same place same time each time you play it so it'll be a slightly different experience um, it's not like memorizing a path and then being able to just you know Konami code the thing back in and you know, beat it each time so there, there's a <laughs> bit of a arcade quality randomness to it nice that is very neat uh, so Okay, I had a question. You go, go, Jonathan. I had a question. It, it, it much like the boss, it got derailed. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. One of them actually does run on a rails. All mm. right. <laughs> <laughs> and you do need to derail it. Well done. See, you're already on your way. Yeah. yeah <laughs> um. So the uh, the suits. Uh, one of the the big things on the the Kickstarter page is that you guys have. Uh, Josh Nizzi uh, designing the the suit for the game, and uh, he's done a lot of different um, designs for mechs and things like that, including Iron Man, which I'm sure most, hopefully, most people have seen. It, I've not, never heard they, of. I don't know. Uh, okay, well, you know, it's this guy. He has a suit not made out of iron. Um, <clears throat> but uh, how has that kind of affected the the rest of the game? Um, it, it seems like one of those things that um, would maybe come in later on a lot of projects. It's like, hey, you know, to kind of spruce things up, we brought in this Hollywood guy to, you know, make our, our mech look better. But it's been something that's kind of been there uh, for yeah. the whole process for you guys. So has that yeah. has that changed the and, process at all? Well, you know, it's funny because it allows us to focus more specifically um, on making the game fun than figuring out how to make it look good because mm -hmm. the game looks gorgeous and it looked gorgeous from day one and that was one of the you know the benefits josh is a good friend and we'd been talking about doing something together oh almost for two years and when this came along um it's funny because the first concept which we may have to pull up sometime and you know put it as a teaser on the site um 
that Ben and I were talking about uh, was very much more in an anime style from Robotech. And we'd always talked about having, you know, the main pilot, Allison, inside of the mech. And so the first iteration uh, was very much in kind of a Robotech style. And it was great. And then we showed it to Josh. It was like, here's what we're thinking. You know, we want to do something. And, you know, we'd love to see, you know, your take on it. And then he kind of sent us his, his sketch, his concept. And we're like, oh, yeah, let's go with yours. That's sweet. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> and well, it was much better than what we had. <laughs> oh, man. It was, it was funny. We had a couple of variations, and he did a bunch of sketches. Um, and I think the biggest change we had was on the configuration of the head on the mech. And so that went through a few iterations, and then we tried to figure out, you know, okay, where is Allison sitting? And then if you transform, you know, does it look correct in the way that it's transforming, and would a pilot be in there? And that's where, you know, the expertise of someone like Josh and like Ben, you know, both of them being extremely talented artists and having done this for so long, you know, they just get it right. And I just kind of sit there and go, yeah, I don't do art. I can make the code work. You guys make it look good. (laughs) (laughs) So that was a tremendous benefit, you know, working with both of those guys and both of them, you know, having the same love for this idea and, you know, the three of us putting the passion into building this new brand, this new creation, this new story and bringing the XP to life, you know, putting character into Allison and Jesper. Um, it, it really drove the rest of the process. And it'd be great to say if all games were like that, but many of them are not. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's it's one thing if you have a completely blank slate, um, and you know, if you gave me, you know, okay, just come up with a game idea right now. You know, there's lots of game mechanics and systems I could create, but the missing component is that creative element. You know, give me the visual representation that brings it all together. And there's so many times when you know, the, the appreciation for the value of a strong concept artist or a 3D modeler, they really, you know, they lock in an idea and then, you know, you really rally behind it. And it's hard to find that talent, but when you do, you know you've got it. And good grief, we know you've got it here. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely something to be said where uh, a great story will will definitely get you far, but if you have kind of great visuals that you're able to kind of get away with a lot of things it oh, almost yeah. be forgiven of a lot of stuff so the, to have both is kind of that's really nice yeah it's a perfect world in that case i'm still <laughs> pinching myself <laughs> that's very cool all right let's see so as uh as far as kickstarter goes uh we'll try to get this podcast up as soon as possible because we like to do that for kickstarter projects even though you guys as of this recording only have like two days left uh but still <laughs> time for people to to go in and back and, and get cool prizes and stuff like that what are people that have backed and and can back uh what are they getting when they give their money yeah so it's wonderful you know going out there and you know you can get basically a full copy of the game for pc mac uh, which will be distributed via steam or the PlayStation 4 and Vita version. So we're 
we're cross-selling those products together. So if you have both systems, you only cross buy. Yes. Cross buy is awesome. That's excellent. So that's just the base level. You know, you put ten bucks in, and there you go. Plus, you also get a little added benefit where you get to pick some in-game upgrades the first time you play the game, having been a backer. You know, you hmm. get that little added bump to start with. So all these awesome weapon upgrades and skins and power-ups, you get to pick a couple to start with from day one. Hmm. Um, so that's kind of, a, you know, the fun starting level. And then if you feel generous and you want to get more involved, you know, there's additional art, there's gorgeous wallpapers, uh, there's the soundtrack done by a very talented composer, uh, David Joseph Wesley, who... He's currently working on Family Guy with Fox. Uh, wonderful, wonderful tra- soundtrack. You know, sometimes I'll just play the soundtrack as I'm driving home, and mm-hmm. then I want to like drive around and slice things up with my truck, which is not good. But <laughs> I don't recommend that. But it's awesome to listen to. <laughs> um, and then you know, there's obviously we're doing you know, a, a bit more concept art booklets. You know, there's a tremendous amount of content that shows the evolution of the game. Um, there's additional levels of unlock items that we can give you access to. And then we start getting into things like posters, t-shirts, um, and then really awesome items, which are, um, one of them is a three-inch bust of the main XP-41. Um, it's this cool head head on a stick. No, not quite a stick, but it's uh, <laughs> incredible looking um, uh, bus print, which uh, we've just gotten a few pre-production runs on, and they look incredible, so I'm kind of anxious to get a bunch on my desk as well. <laughs> um, and then, if you really love mechs, um, there's actually a picture of a six-inch version of the XP-41 statue that we're only offering a hundred of those, and those hundred will be signed by Josh, and then we'll never allow any other models of that type to be signed. So, those are up there. That statue is pretty sweet looking too. Nice. Oh, <laughs> I, mean, I want to keep them all too. You know, have a little. It's <laughs> so um, like, yeah, I know we promised these to you guys, but I'm going to keep them. <laughs> Sorry. I have to have my own little army here on my desk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then there's, uh, you know, we wanted to make sure that we gave people the option if they wanted to get involved in game development and do it with, you know, a professional like Josh. Um, there are some very, very high-level tiers where you can actually work with Josh on developing a new skin, developing a new mech, um, just having a chat, a Q&A session, and discussing you know, aspects of development, things that we're doing on Firefly, things that we're doing on Mech Runner, things that we do in our spare time, which is just make games. We don't have spare time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's something for everyone. And even putting a dollar in, we go, thank you. <laughs> but don't put a dollar in. Put more in. Put more in. Put at least ten. Put the game. Get yeah. The game. Get the game. And that's the great thing too. I I love getting into building games at this level where you know we can build a great interactive, fun arcade experience and not have to charge sixty bucks for it. You know, ten bucks. Great game. You know, really solid experience. Console, Steam, Steam Box eventually when that comes out as well. So we're looking forward to that too. Nice. Have you guys played with that new controller? Oh yeah, oh yeah. All right. Oh man, it's really cool. You know, uh, 
good friend of mine uh, has been launching a few games, and we tried his game on it, and his game was very heavily mouse-driven, and it's incredible how easy it is to control without a mouse. So uh. I was kind of, uh, I was torn at first. You know, obviously, you know, we're going very heavy on the controller base for MechRunner, but for games that you know people want to play that are very mouse-intense, uh, there's some pretty smart guys over at Valve who figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like yes, that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, if they announce something, they're doing something. There's, there's already oh, yeah. been years of work put into it. Yeah, and there's, there's bound to be years more. <laughs> they have good kung fu over there. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Miyaki game is strong. <laughs> wax on, wax off. That's right. <laughs> So, so what are people actually uh, funding with the the Kickstarter? What what is this helping you guys do? So, the game is in a great place, um, but obviously, I think Ben probably said it best uh, in an interview he was chatting about online. You know, the great thing about this game is that it is all our design, <laughs> and the bad thing about this game is that it's all our design because <laughs> there's so much that you know we don't call it feature creep we just call it that's a great feature we put that in and there are things you know like there is a backstory there are these wonderful characters that we're developing and we'd love to put professional voice actors in to tell that story to bring it you know to bring it in pull it together um and we've got a wonderful production company that we work with who has voice actors available and i don't think you want me doing a russian accent so <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I think it's fantastic when I do it in my head, but then when I (laughs) listen to it, it really isn't. (laughs) So that's one of the big areas. Um, We'd love to bring in, you know, even more content. Um, There's, you know, sections of story elements that are kind of on the fringes that we haven't brought in to the mainline game. Um, There's even more music, there's sound, uh, there's components of the boss battles that I think we could take even more over the top. Um, And then there's the marketing, because, you know, we are pushing this all ourselves, completely independently. Um, It's interesting, we've had a couple of groups who've approached us saying, you know, we'd like to partner with you, and we've said no. You know, this is really something that we wanted to keep in close control because of the results of just building it from passion and not building it for business reasons. Now, it's a it's a game we love. So there's a marketing component. You know, we want to be able to invest into a marketing push and, you know, get even more people. You know, I'd love to say, yes, we'll take over the world, but we're not going to do that. You know, just a few small countries. Um, <laughs> but, it's you know, much. build the awareness about it. <laughs> You know, as Eddie Izzard says, the the meek they want it all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Brian, do you have any other questions before we go to the yeah. end game? I think we're good for the end game. Maybe all right, get started. So as you, as as we kind of explained in the beginning, uh, we like to end with a. Uh, and he, he says it was kind of inspired. I'm going to tell you it was directly inspired because I thought it was a great idea from the uh, the questionnaire at the end of the um, Inside the Actor Studio with James Lipton. Um, it, we got six questions. Um, they're they're just as intimidating as intense as his questions are. So we will start uh, with question number one. Um, who is 42. your favorite? Forty-two. 
That's, that's, that's who's your favorite video game protagonist? Ooh, see, I'm gonna I'm gonna nerd out a little bit. Um, Do it. It's it's uh, Indiana Jones because we're going back to the old school '80s arcade games, and I don't know if you've got one of those questions digging about you know the favorite game of all time. It wasn't Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, although that was up there. Um, Star Wars, the 82 arcade version from Atari. You know, I must have spent 50 bucks as a kid, which was a lot of money for a kid on that mm-hmm. game. But the other game I played, you know, it was always indie. And it was the uh, kind of the, the runner-style game. You know, you've got indie running around on the screen. And, you know, I still, I've got flashbacks of playing that damn game. I don't think I can release it. It's crazy. So, yep. <laughs> I'm not going modern, you know, all the modern stuff is great, but I was already a game developer at that point, and that kind of killed it for me. I have to go back to, you know, not that it's a bad thing, people, if you want to get into games, but, oh, man, it changes everything about, you know, your appreciation for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, Master I, Chief is badass, so I will, I'll slip that in. I'll go into that. <laughs> it's okay. Indie, indie's acceptable. We can roll with that. Works perfectly well. In, yeah. in regards to that Star Wars game, I actually remember um, missing a the blowing out the birthday candles on a birthday cake because I was playing on that. Yes. So that's, <laughs> I get where you're coming from there. I feel it. Oh, that's awesome. Well done. <laughs> so, uh, so flipping flipping the uh, the coin there, uh, who would be your favorite antagonist? Ooh, favorite antagonist. Wow. Uh, a boy in his blob. How about the blob in that one? Uh, <laughs> I was horrible at that game, and I wanted to play. I wanted to love that game, um, but I played the game, and I was terrible at it. So the blob was the antagonist for me there. <laughs> killed me. Sure. Totally killed yeah. me. <laughs> um, if third question, um, your what would be your least favorite uh, theme or trope in video games today? What would you kind of like to see go away? Oh, interesting. Um, anything that has Vil on it. Hmm. <laughs> I understand. Sure, yeah. Like it. Yeah. yeah. And there will be cows and Firefly. I'm going to slip that in now. But it's oh, not on Villain Space, so I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> just got to slip that one in, too. <laughs> well, speaking of Firefly, your fourth question, um, and obviously you'll be graded heavily on this, um, who is your favorite Firefly <laughs> character? My favorite Firefly character, uh, Jubal Early. It's not even one of the big damn heroes. Uh, Jubal <laughs> Early had the most incredible character development. I, yeah, that that episode sold it for me. You know, I mean, the dialogue obviously was solid, but that character he was so demented and yet felt so in the right. Um, Early was just a misunderstood man who needed a hug, and. <laughs> I would hug sure. him, and then I'd be killed, and then that would be all right. But yeah, Jubal early all the way. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I I hope that is... anybody that is listening to this that doesn't has never seen Firefly is intrigued enough to go watch it. Now. Oh, there's they, 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 kids. Listen, I like what was it? We found it uh, at, around Christmas time at Best Buy. We got the entire season on Blu-ray for like twelve bucks. Oh yeah. <laughs> There's, yeah, there's no excuse. It's to dirt not, cheap. It's to on Netflix. It. The it's on entire Netflix. series and the movie. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. 
it should be like required high school watching now. I think. <laughs> and if it's not, I need to go start talking to school systems and say, <laughs> oh, "That's history of Earth that was." So come on, we need to make sure we it's do future it history. We have to cover this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> If we don't learn it now, we are doomed to live it. So that's, <laughs> that's right. Actually, uh, that might not be a bad idea. We we could live in that world. That's, that's okay. <laughs> Listen, I, you know, it's great, and then we get to the Reavers, and then it, it all goes uh, downhill from So True. Anyway. See? Yeah, Reavers misunderstood as well. Oh, poor <laughs> things. Poor things. They're like, they're like cuddly little cannibal puppies. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. They're cannibals, and they eat puppies, yeah. <laughs> I would not hug them, but they're still misunderstood creatures. <laughs> um, obviously, you were living the dream, but if you had the chance to live another dream, uh, what other profession would you like to try? Ooh, what other profession? Um, between a professional javelin catcher and... Catcher? Uh, yeah. It's a job you can do once. Um, aside from... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I may take on bear wrestling because um, bears like hugs, and uh, I think you can never there's a. With bears. Well, I'll tell you, you're chatting with people in Alaska. And, you know, they got some some you know arenas up there, and those bears are just I, itching I asked for a specifically fight. about bear folklore, and there was they could not pinpoint a single one that you know. That wow. Was just all, just like they have lots of bear bear warnings, but you know. You can never tell. I, I think it's one of those things where bears are so commonplace that you, there's really you don't like need a story about you know <laughs> warning you against bears. You they're just them. yeah, they're it permeates. I think you could have been interviewing a couple of bears that were you know masquerading as people because uh, they know, do that as well. You put them on this uh, on this Skype line, and I will talk to bears. <laughs> it will be a great conversation filled with lots of and. Well, the one you have to be careful of, the ones, the bear ninjas, you know, you never oh, see them man. coming. But, they're just uh, silent. It is, and then it's over. You know, and then it's, it's over, close, and then they're picking, they're using your bones to pick their teeth. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Horrible. That's Now I'm going to have nightmares now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's my job. I'm a professional Waking nightmare creator. in the middle of the night, honey, did you hear that? No, that's why I'm worried. You know, <laughs> But damn John for having that other job yeah. idea. Oh, man. Exactly. The Bear Ninja. <laughs> Fantastic other job, sir. Thank you. <laughs> so so just to be clear, did you want to just wrestle a bear, or do you want to actually be a Bear Ninja? See, yes. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. <laughs> can't go there. Can't go there. <laughs> That's part of that uh, Firefly well, disclosure agreement, I guess. I don't That's know. Right. You're um, assuming I haven't already wrestled a bear. It's not <laughs> future tense. It's maybe the past tense. So yeah, there's some of the mystery for you as well. That's right. <laughs> we don't learn from history. We do repeat it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so final question. Um, this one gets a little dark. Uh, at the end of our lives, when we come to the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom... And Toad is there with the book of our deeds. What would you like him to say to you? Hmm. Stay shiny, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that would hit it. Absolutely. I can roll with that. Right on. Keep on rolling. There you That's go. Right. As well. like <laughs> <laughs> you can fill a book with just those. <laughs> All of the mistakes. Here's the turn up, my friend. You know. <laughs> 
It may be more of a, this page intentionally left blank. I don't know. That's a good one, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, fantastic. Thank you so much for sitting down and talking with us about MechRunner and Firefly tonight. John, if you could send us out by telling our listeners uh, where they can go to find out uh, more about MechRunner and the final hours, when they can, uh, you know, how long they have until they can no longer fund MechRunner. Absolutely. So we've got all the information up on mechrunner.com. And if for some reason you're crazy enough to miss the final deadline of tomorrow, there actually will be, you know, those late packers who want to get involved will put something up on the site. So you can get in there and, you know, get some of the same rewards, not quite at the same incentive level that we're doing on Kickstarter, but we won't leave you out completely in the cold. Maybe just a little bit of the ice. (laughs) And the cold black. There you go. There you go, yeah. All right, thank you so much again, and uh, wish you guys the best. I hope it turns out as good as it sounds. Awesome. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Brian. Good talking to you both. Thanks, John. All right, take care.